If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're with Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Good morning, planet Earth, or good evening if you're in Australia, wherever you are. Welcome to the Lambidopic Show here on TNT, the home of free speech, where we light the fuse of freedom. Uh, this is where you get facts, you get opinions, but we separate the two. We don't try to fool you into thinking uh, that we're giving you facts when we're really propagandizing. That's not our act. We're here to give you the best opportunity to make up your own mind about what's going on all around the world. In a packed show today, in the next three hours, we will dig deep into everything from military affairs to British politics, to Britain's departure from the European Union, right through to art and many other things besides. Uh, coming up in a moment or two, we'll be talking about the Brexit situation and also the Middle East with a military expert and also the leader of the UK Independence Party. Uh, I'll be asking him what's going on there. Why has a party which pretty much made more impact in British politics than any party in the last 80 years struggled to maintain its popularity? There are good reasons. They're fascinating and they give us insights into the state of British politics. Uh, after that, uh, we'll be going across to speak to Francis O'Neill, a political commentator and artist who opposed the COVID mandates. I have a vested interest there. I suffered harm from the third COVID mandate. I still live with that harm. I'll be talking about why Francis feels this way, what we should do, and what maybe Francis fears for the future. Uh, after that, we'll be speaking to Paul Dacres, an ex-councillor, who'll be talking about the corruption experienced at a local level. I was a councillor myself in a local authority in the north of England, in a delightful city called Newcastle-upon-Tyne. I had a brush with corruption, at least I suspect there was some foul play. Paul will be able to give us a much clearer picture of what he experienced and what's going on there. All of that is accompanied by your good selves. What do you think is matters to me and is important uh, to my show? So go to the TNT website and join the chat. That's the best way to be involved in the discussions that we have here. As I have time, I'll look down and I'll read out your comments and also your questions uh, to my guests. Wherever you are in the world, whatever you're thinking, you're most welcome to share your views here on TNT. That is the essence of free speech, not just shoveling one point of view down your neck. It's great to be here because we do dig deep. We get time to learn about our guests as well as their points of view. And usually I get time to share some of your views too. Uh, we had a great show yesterday and I'm sure we'll have a great show again today. Before we speak uh, with our first guest, Ben Walker, I want to highlight two things that really annoy me. One is a referendum in Paris about SUVs. Those are the big four-wheel drive vehicles, uh, which have become very popular in many developed countries and also in places with rough terrain. They've got a referendum, which would mean you would have to pay something like 200 euros a day to park an SUV in the middle of the city. It gets worse than that. I've been looking at the story. They actually think that there's some merit in charging uh, electric SUVs as well. Now, this is a little bit like what happened in the UK when everybody was told to buy diesel vehicles. And then, lo and behold, you get punished for having bought a diesel vehicle. What's going on there? 
at what point will these people, and I'm looking at the story now, realize that this is persecution of people who are just trying to live their lives? Sure, they're wealthy enough to buy these big vehicles. But does that mean that they should be stung by the state on the pretense of danger and also on the basis of environmental harm? On the latter, regular viewers will know, I don't think there is a climate crisis and any change to the environment from the human race, and there must be some, is so small that it's barely measurable, perhaps not measurable at all. When it comes to the road safety figures, I haven't had the time to investigate the research on that. But my feeling is that this is just another attack on the motorist. And for what reason? Because if you have to drive, you have to pay. The irony here, of course, is that France has a proud tradition of liberté. It's even in one of its political catchphrases going back two centuries to a particular revolution. But now that liberté is gone if your vehicle is too heavy. I have had issues with going to France because of the increasing restrictions on myself as an ordinary person wanting to spend money in that great country. I wonder how you feel about this and how you would feel if you get punished for having the wealth or perhaps the necessity of owning a large vehicle. The other point, and I'll come back to this in the second hour, is the volcanic activity in Iceland. Once again, related to the environment, uh, this is spitting out vast quantities of emissions into the atmosphere. Why aren't we banning volcanoes? I put it to you, the volcanic activity of Iceland completely dwarfs the emissions of the humans on that particular island. I'd go further. I think there's quite a lot of evidence to suggest that whatever we do in cutting SUVs in Paris, the big polluter is Mother Earth herself. And guess what? She knows what to do with that pollution because she's been handling it for about 4.6 billion years. The lesson from both of those stories is this. We meddle at the periphery, harming the welfare and the economic well-being of humans. And Mother Earth doesn't even notice. And why do we do it? Because there are some trumped-up Charlies, some despot dictators who wave the flag of environment and road safety in order to big themselves up into positions of authority they are not competent to hold. I wonder what you think of that. Am I being harsh? Maybe you've had the experience of these tin pot dictators telling you where to park, how to park, and how much to pay for it. In my world, they wouldn't have that power. But you tell me. Go to the chat on TNT and let me know what you think. Coming up in a moment, we've got Ben Walker, the chair of the UK Independence Party, a party which has made more difference in the last 30 years to Britain than any other party in recent history. He's with me, he's free talking, he's free thinking, and he's wise. All of that with me on the Lembido Big Show, right here on TNT. Conversations to inform and include. It's meant for everyday people to understand. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome, Ben Walker, Chair of the UK Independence Party. How have you been? I'm good, thanks, Lembido. How are you? I'm feeling pretty good, but I'm not going to be driving my SUV to Paris, I can tell you, if, if they pass that oh, referendum. I uh, heard just that. that. Yeah, that's not good. What do you think of that? I know this isn't the main thing we're talking about, but how do you feel about this assault and war on drivers and, and the idea of having, I think it's a 15 or 16 euro per hour, per hour charge for SUVs parked in central Paris? 
I mean, we've seen this obviously right across the UK in, in major cities. Um, but this is the first time I've heard of it being absolutely extortionate like that. Um, I mean, it just it just goes to show that literally all of these governments across the world, they're just out to get you. Governments aren't your friends um, and they just want to take anything they can from you. So all that French nonsense about liberté, as you say, well, that can just be screwed up and put in the bin, can it, really? I was actually wrong. I lied to you, Ben. I've just checked the story again. It's not 16 euros per hour. It's 18 euros per hour. And oh, well, <laughs> that that means that if you spend 10 hours in central Paris, that's uh, 180 euros per per day. So if you have to go in there five days a week, just short of a thousand euros of 900 euros. It's this is just to be breathtaking. I know. I mean, we, we might as well just pack up chocolate and go back to the Stone Age, right? Because that's kind of what these uh, these people want us to be like. Yes, and they say that it's because of road safety. I haven't been able to check the figures for road safety, but I, I very much doubt that SUVs are responsible for higher mortality. I'll check that out. And also for the environment. But the irony is we're meant to be using electric vehicles and they're worse for the environment because it takes so much more to manufacture them and then you tie up precious metals in the batteries and then of course anybody who's seen the luton airport fire which is a big airport in the uk where an entire car park of vehicles was incinerated unquestionably because of the fire being fueled by electric vehicles you think what are these people thinking ben the antithesis of what your party seems to stand for which is freedom it is. It's completely incredible, isn't it? I mean, we, you, you look at someone like Wales. I mean, in Wales now, it's, it's generally a 20 mile an hour speed limit. I mean, birds fly faster than that. So <laughs> what, what is going on? Why are we just creeping around in cars? I mean, it, it doesn't seem progressive to me. It just seems like we're going backwards in time. And they cloak everything with safety. But the truth is, it's not about safety. It's about taking your hard earned money again. I went to Wales to do a talk called uh, Any Answers in uh, Clenetley. Now, in order to get to Clenetley, I had to drive pretty much the width of Wales uh, from east to west, probably about 80 miles. I went through a town and it's just breathtakingly frustrating to drive at 20 miles per hour. I won't, I won't take my business if I can avoid it. And I certainly won't take my campaigning to Wales, except to oppose that 20 mile an hour speed limit. They've imposed the speed limit across three, three and a half million people by my estimate costing 250,000 hours every single day to save between two and seven lives per year. Yeah. Now, this beggars belief, because if they use that stupid phrase, uh, if it saves one life, then we should do it. Then, Ben, they should they should ban cycling and walking because <laughs> more than one person dies a year on a bicycle. In fact, <laughs> when I was watching the COVID figures, when there was a lockdown, cycling went up by, I think, 46% and mortality went up by something like 42%. So uh, I think, Ben, we've lost the plot in this country. We've definitely lost the plot in this country. That's fact. I mean, here it's, uh, you know, feelings trump act. So it, it really is a case of we've lost all sense of any proportion and direction here. Um, and that's why, you know, we're here still fighting the good fight to make sure that we there is a voice 
for those people that think this is utter nonsense, I'm not having it. Uh, and I suppose that's why I'm trying to pump you up into an angry mob of one, because I recall that UKIP was founded on a general frustration with the old political guard, uh, a political guard that seemed to believe that we were better in and better being the subject of imposed regulations from Brussels. Just remind us about a brief history of UKIP and your greatest achievement. Well, that's, I mean, that's a great summer. That's exactly why it was formed. It was formed because we didn't want to be ruled by unelected bureaucrats in another country. And we felt that basically it was our right, even if we got it wrong, to be able to govern ourselves and make our own mistakes or make our own triumphs. Um, and yeah, UKIP was born on the back of that objection towards the European Union and its growth. Uh, because obviously at that time it was growing exponentially all of the time. Its tentacles were into everything. Um, and we worked very, very hard in achieving that aim. And, and you kind of alluded to it, but we are the only political party in the UK that's ever achieved its political aim. And we're very, very proud of that. Um, but for us, I think the disappointment is that we, we achieved referendum. We won it. But when we thought that was it, then what we saw was that our own political class had no interests uh, and they did not want to see through the will of the British public and the biggest democratic vote the country had ever taken. They didn't want it. So there was pushback. Um, and, you know, I'm no mug. I mean, I know that in, in the eyes of the public in this country, Brexit is done. It's, it's kind of done. Uh, you know, if we're honest about it, it is in name only. Um, we're still signing up to all sorts of nonsense and uh, we're still adhering to lots of treaties that we shouldn't really bother with anymore. But in the eyes of the public, it is done. The truth is, Brexit was not the war. Brexit was just the skirmish. And we can see now that it, it doesn't really matter, even when the public stand up and they vote in the way that they did, that these governments, these 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 bureaucrats, these unelected people and puppet masters in the background don't stop, and they won't stop. Uh, so we have to push back on this orthodoxy from from our government, from Australian governments, all of them. You know, all of this nonsense. There has to be pushback, and there has to be representation of the sensible voices and and, and a balance and a different argument. Um, you know, instead of just all of this drivel that's being poured all over us. Uh, so you feel that you've won by name, but not by action. Uh, and uh, basically what I'm thinking is that you have essentially experienced the frustration of what used to be called a Pyrrhic victory, a victory in name only. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, I, I make no mistake, our, our, our leaving the European Union was never going to be easy. Uh, there was going to be teething problems, there was going to be issues. But then if you look at the, the facts and figures now, you can see that Brexit has essentially been a success thus far, and that's with everything stacked against it. So what would have happened if you'd had a government that really put their shoulder against it and pushed and made it? So I think it would have worked better, much quicker. But, you know, we're in the situation that we are. We are seeing the glimmers of, of hope from Brexit, and I just hope that, uh, well, we've got an election coming in October, which is going to be an absolute hot mess. 
But the one after that, I hope we start getting back some sort of normality and proper governance in this country. Right. So hold that thought. And what we'll do is we'll go into a bit more detail about the situation with UKIP and how uh, you're performing. And then if we've got time uh, after that, we can talk about the international situation due to your military experience. Uh, if you've got views about what you're hearing, then do go to the TNT site, uh, get into the chat. Uh, I think it's going to be a very busy hour, but I'll try and share some of your comments as well. Uh, you'll find the TNT chat. No problem at all. Take you 30 seconds to get into it always very busy on a Saturday and Sunday. Uh, ben Walker will be with me for this whole hour. Uh, you're listening to the Lemon Big Show right here on TNT. See you in a minute. TNT's Patrick Henningsen. Hamza Dahoud was the eldest son of the Gaza Bureau for Al Jazeera, while Dahoud, who previously lost other family members in Israeli bombing raid. And we would say that this is probably in terms of conflicts, uh, this many journalists have been lost, uh, killed, injured in the whole of the Second World War, and that lasted uh, a number of years. And only in the last three months are we scraping 100 on the uh, journalist uh, fatality list, which is coming fast and furious out of Gaza. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform, that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans. That's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Plug in. Website TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's News Talk Radio. It's the coolest. TNT. Welcome back to the Lempidopic Show here on TNT. I'm with you three hours on Saturday, three hours on Sunday. And boy, we have some great guests. None better than Ben Walker, the chair of, you could argue, Britain's most effective political party, having achieved their core objective, which is the departure of the United Kingdom from the European Union. Whether you like it or not, whether you agreed with that or not, there's no doubt that, as Ben Walker's just said, they achieved their mission objective. Uh, ben, uh, you might be frustrated that you achieved your mission objective, and a little bit like Winston Churchill after World War II, you kind of got junked by the voter. How does that feel? Yeah, is there? Well, it's, it's a difficult pill to swallow, um, and it's one that's uh, an interesting process to follow through. Um, I think it's it's for a number of reasons. Uh, with UKIP itself, it had it had many different policies, many many sort of aspirations. But obviously, its main drive was to leave the European Union, and we spent lots of time focusing and working really hard on achieving that aim. Um, the truth was. There was no planning for if we did win. So within the party, they didn't like they didn't know what to do if we did win. What you know, what happens then with the party? How do you move? And in, in 2015, where we, you know, we got almost four million votes across the um, and that didn't translate into parliamentary seats for us, which is mad, but it is. That's how it works. But um we we, we didn't we didn't move on from that. And, and what we saw then which wasn't helped by Mr. Nigel Farage because he, he kind of left us 
and decided he was going to try and burn the boats on the way out. So you had a party which didn't really know where it was supposed to be going or how. And then because of his departure, it created like a Middle Eastern power vacuum where some some leader has been taken out. And then it was just this scramble of different people and, and just a fight for the heart and soul of the party, really, on, on where are we going, how are we going there, and who we who's taking us. Um, and it was a difficult period, actually, after, after the referendum. Um, and it was only until sort of 2019 and 2020 when uh, myself and Neil Hamilton kind of took over at the helm. And we've managed to create a period of stability for the party and started to carve out that path, that direction of travel. Um, a big part of that now is to try and unite the smaller fractions that all have a UKIP backstory within the UK. Try and get them to work together, if not under one banner, but literally just as a cooperative, because until the all of these fractures and splits on our side of the political fence are rectified in some way, shape and form. There's never going to be any tangible uh, opposition to, argument's sake, the Tory party, who are obviously in self-destruct mode now anyway. Um, and who knows? I mean, after the next election in, the, in this country, is there going to be a Tory party left? And if, if whatever is left, what's it going to be? Um, it, it's, it's a very, very... Uh, turbulent time in the uk and there's going to be a lot of change uh in a few months time and uh it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and i hope that that is an opportunity for for us once again but it's all about being uh making sure that you are a, a viable alternative and like i say that's what we've been working hard on to try and achieve uh i'm going to sugar the pill here i'm going to ask you an acerbic question but first of all uh, let me give you some compliments coming in from the chat on the TNT uh, uh, Radio.Live site. Uh, one is uh, quite a few things about the French referendum on SUVs, but I'll save that for the next hour because we're going to talk about that in more detail with our guests then. Uh, but uh, 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 this sort of refers to what you're say saying, Ben. Uh, Wefat Shug says, uh, why on earth are they still referring to referred to as governments? Haven't you seen enough to know it's simply all one group of criminals? The WEF here, the WEF here. Very good. I see what we did there. Uh, Blodder says elections are hopium, not hope. And Holly says, uh, "Amen to Ben. Uh, we can govern ourselves." Thank you. Uh, so there's a compliment there. And uh, just one more, which I think is really salient to what you're saying, uh, and that is that. Uh, let me find it. Uh, Malibai says Farage only cares about one thing and that's Farage tends to agree with you there but here's the I like Farage as a person by the way I, I, I think he's all right but I'm just reading these out because they're out there now but here's the curveball for you you said it yourself there's been a proliferation of small parties in the United Kingdom by and large on the right You've got all the old ones, socialist workers and the Communist Party and so on. But on the right-hand side, following the victory of the movement that you've been involved with for so long, the the right seems to have been unable to coalesce. Now, why is that? Is it because the right is inhabited by mavericks? Or is it because after the victory in Brexit, there hasn't really been a, a cohesive calling cry? 
that's a, such a good question. And I think it's a combination of both, Lembit, to be honest. I think it's difficult to um, get people who are essentially, you say mavericks, I mean, I would say free thinkers, but um, to get them to work around one issue or a, a collection of issues and move in one direction because they because they are the way they are. It is sometimes like herding cats, and that's what it's like running UKIP or has been. So uh, that's understandable. But also there's no there hasn't been one big single issue to get behind or people to get behind. Um, so I think that's also made a difference. Everybody's kind of fighting battles on every front at the moment. Everybody's got their own problems, and it's difficult to get behind one thing. Um, but it, it really is, there's so much. And, and you also mentioned Nigel. Nigel's a great guy, and I've got a lot of time, and I like Nigel a lot. But he is uh, an ego, and unfortunately our side is peppered with egos as well. And, and sometimes you have to ask, are they in it for the for the good of the country and its people? Or are they in it to try and glean what they can for themselves? I'm, I'm not saying either way, but I know that that's uh, an argument to be made. Uh, I've noticed UKIP's been in the media again, and it's always this usual personality politics that this country seems to love to report. What I'm wondering then is whether the media itself has lost interest in the big debate. I travel a lot and I hear people asking me a lot when I'm abroad, what is the UK doing about Brexit? Many of them are bemused about why we left, but they seem to feel from the outside that Britain doesn't really have a cohesive message on this. Now, in that situation, it strikes me, Ben, that we end up in a huge, big, giant mess because we can be taken advantage of by more focused organizations. For example, the European Union, who would love to prove to Italy and Greece in particular, that it's not smart to leave because look at the mess Britain's made of it. If that's the case, why can't you, as the proven pretty much most successful party and, and the progenitor of all the other ones, simply say to everyone, let's get into a room and sort this out because the job isn't done? Well, we've been trying to do that for the last two years. And we've had some success, to be honest with you now. So we've got, in fact, I have, uh, talks coming up in the next couple of weeks with a couple of the smaller parties again. We already have um, an electoral pact with the English Democrats, so we do not stand against each other and we support each other in elections. So that's a positive mood and that's a shared descriptor that we have. That's not like uh, some of these kind of throwaway comments which are made by parties like the Forum, where they're now in bed with the SDP and then five minutes later you see them standing against this is serious and we're the only party that's serious about uniting our side and like it or loathe it you know it's got to happen uh, even if we don't want it to through circumstance we are going to have to come together because in a few months time the the right or well, the center right right parties in this country are going to take an absolute hammering really and we're going to be more disenfranchised and fractured than ever so through circumstance, we are going to have to come together because otherwise we're going to be stuck with some sort of weird Labour-led hung parliament um, propped up by the SNP and other weirdos that uh, inhabit the House of Commons. And, and that's what we're going to be facing. And that's a horrible prospect, really, for anyone. But don't get me wrong. I mean, I think the Tories deserve everything that is coming to them. And, and from what I understand worst thing about it is they're playing for a hung parliament as well this isn't about them trying to win now it's damage limitation for them 
Well, another exclusive right here on TNT, Ben, is this. I've been going into Parliament for my work from time to time. It's not something I really enjoy doing because the atmosphere there is absolutely dreadful. It's toxic, where you've got a Labour Party that doesn't want to say anything because they think all they have to do to win is shut up and wait for the Conservatives to implode. But what the Conservatives are saying is what you're saying, Ben. They're saying, oh, if we if we get this right, then we can stop Labour having an overall majority. In other words, that they'll have to form a coalition. So the plan is a little bunker, bunker-like, hoping that the Labour Party won't win by enough to stay in power for long. Meanwhile, the Conservatives are pretty much resigned to defeat. I was speaking to one Conservative with a majority of 12,000, and for our international uh, viewers and listeners, that's a pretty big majority. And I said to him, well, <clears throat> you'll be all right. He said, no, I've only got a majority of 12,000, so it's a marginal. That's how they're thinking now. Yeah, now, incredible. it's possible, though, that they're thinking that because you've got UKIP, you've got uh, the SDP, you've got Reform, you've got all these different parties that are fragmenting the Conservative vote and increasing the likelihood of a Labour victory. How do you respond to that? I'm not saying that's what I think, but you've heard that argument yourself, I'm sure. That's always been uh, the argument that's used against us, basically. Uh, I, I said earlier, I mentioned 2015. We, you know, we were coming second uh, and third predominantly in seats across the country. Um, and what the, the main tool the Tories used against us was that if you vote for us, you get a Labour government propped up by the SNP. Now, make no mistake, that's going to be the same line they roll out this time um, against reform. But the weirdism about reform is that they're actually doing the heavy lifting, if you like, for the Tories, a, a Tory-like brand at the moment. Um, the truth is they're going to do nothing different as to what we did. In fact, they'll probably do worse, and I suspect that they'll dissipate themselves after this next election. And it could come sooner. There's two parliamentary by-elections coming up. If they don't perform well in either of those, you've got to ask yourself, if you can't do well in a parliamentary by-election in the last few months of a government that everybody hates, then what's going to be different at a general election? Uh, let me read to you a message from Red, which is relevant to this. Unity is our strength. All parties could, before election, agree to stand down in favour of the leading independent party. Those egos that refuse can be exposed and then ignored. Is that pra practical? Is that credible? I mean, it's a lovely, it's a lovely thought and gesture. In, in practice, no, I, it, it just won't happen. And it's it's so difficult to try and negotiate any kind of agreement with with parties like that. Uh, it takes time. But like I say, I think born out of circumstance, we're going to be forced to work together. So maybe that does happen in the end. These people are going to be exposed. I don't know. I mean, it's it, it's hard. All we've done is we've tried to continue to get people to talk and think and work together. It has to be a collective um, in the interest of the people and the country. Even even if you don't want or you don't like our brand of politics, you know, free thinking, small state, you know, low regulation, but just with teeth, not much of it, all of that, you know, a small establishment. If that's what you like, great. If it's not what you like, Fine, but you still need it because what you say about going into the Commons at the moment, that there's just really no debate. It's just a fun fight. They're doing it for a clip on social media. If they're trying to slag off someone's policy or point. 
there's no long-term thinking in any of the governance that we have in this country. You know, that's why people look at us and say we're broken. You mentioned the media. We're so, we're not, but the um, the other parties and government, the Labour Party, they're so reactive to what the media say. Uh, and the media play a huge part in, in, in driving the debate on, on a daily basis. So uh, when people say the system's broken, they're absolutely right. And that's why people have completely disengaged from the political system because it's a joke and it doesn't represent you and it doesn't work for you. I actually have your UK Independence Party pocket manifesto here. I do my research. And in the environment section, it's quite obvious that you don't buy into the climate emergency. Now, that sets you apart from the Conservatives in the United Kingdom, from the Labour Party, from the Liberal Democrats, from the Greens, obviously, as well, and from the SNP. That, to me, is a game changer because, to me, the biggest threat to our economy is actually our own pointless, in my view, uh, attempt at reducing human-generated carbon dioxide. Is it possible that without you even intending it, if you focused on that, people would say, well, I don't know about the other stuff, but I don't want people to take my car away? Yes. Uh, I mean, there, we do focus on that <laughs> as much as we can. But again, the media only want to pick up on the bits that they want to try and beat you up with. They don't want to stuff that might resonate with the electorate go you know what's that all about you wouldn't want to do that but the truth is yeah we are very much sort of uh anti-net zero if you like you know and i one of the frustrations for me is that i'm not some sort of um zealot bigot it's not that i don't want to do things in a better greener way that's fine you have no problem with that that's about progression and development but let's do it in a way that doesn't absolutely penalise the people at the bottom who are just trying to earn a crust and get by in life. You know, we can do this in a much slower, progressive way that works for everybody. It's just that's development. That's what we've been doing for thousands of years as people. Um, this whole kind of agenda to force it on us in such short uh, amounts of time and, and actually in unproven uh, territory. You know, you mentioned the batteries well we know that's not the way to go and you get the great uh sort of uh unwashed purple haired pierced faced people riding around on their electric bikes you know with a i'm better than thou kind of attitude but yes yeah, some poor little kid who's been thrown in a pit has had to dig up the resources for that battery but you don't want to talk about that do you yeah, and I once had on a different station, I had a green fundamentalist wringing his hands with worry about the future for his world. And then I asked him if he ever flew and he volunteered that he'd taken his family to Costa Rica for the holidays. <laughs> I said, can you see a contradiction? He said, oh, well, yes, but but my children have to learn. I'm going, okay, so it's... The same for you as Bill Gates, but the great unwashed have to stay at home in 15-minute cities, do they? They don't really have good answers for that. Uh, no. Just before before we he go should, to Sorry, let me. He really should have been on a handmade raft, you know, made from wood from sustainable sources. That's how he should travel. <laughs> the Contiki expedition writ large. Well, that's what Greta Thunberg did, apart from the fact she was in uh, a fossil fuel-built uh, vessel and the crew flew over by plane to bring it back when she went to New York. <laughs> you couldn't make it up. Uh, I noticed that okay. Greta Thunberg, little Greta, was back in the United Kingdom recently. I wonder how she got here. Did she walk and swim? 
I think uh, not, I just Ben. No, I, the only the only uh, VT I saw of her was skipping into court, so I'm not sure how she actually got here. But this no, is all part, you know. In some ways, I wish they hadn't named her because this is what she wants. You know, she wants the exposure, and she will get it. Yeah, she sadly is. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Ben. In the next section, uh, I want to lean on your military experience because of the developing situation in the Middle East. Uh, for now, you're listening to the Lembitopic Show. I'm with Ben Walker, the chair of the UK Independence Party. Uh, and you may not know this, he also has military experience. And I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say about the antics of the West in the Middle East. All of that with me, Lembitopic, right here on TNT. See you in a minute. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I really don't understand how this trial between Michael Mann and Mark Stein is continuing. And I don't know if Dr. Mann wanted to put his hockey stick on trial. There are so many holes in his argument. It is hard to believe. I don't even understand how people could have let that out without questioning it. And I've talked about this before. One of the biggest problems I have is he won't let anyone look at his data. At least no one that is skeptical of his data. And that should raise red flags. And I've talked about this many, many times. You can go and look at what the global temperature does. When it's warm in the eastern and central part of the United States and warm across Europe, usually the global temperature is elevated. Now, when it's cold in those areas, believe it or not, the global temperature is actually colder. The problem with this whole hockey stick and the recreation of temperatures from pine cones is the areas he looks at and draws his ideas from are usually cold when the earth is warm. So he would not be able to detect that. He would not know that because he's not a meteorologist. If he was a meteorologist, would he know it? Of course he'd know it because we talk about this all the time. They're called teleconnections. So if I were in there talking about this, I'd be asking, where is your meteorology background and are you aware of this going on? But in any case, this whole hockey stick idea of temperature recreation looks to be more of a hokey stick to a lot of us out there and the first red flag is you wouldn't let anyone look at your data this is tnt climate and weather watchdog meteorologist joe bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather it's the only weather you've got people might tell you that lime doesn't kill people but we are losing people people disappear from their lives one of the scariest things that I had to deal with was uh, memory loss. Not just like I don't remember what I did last week, but like I forgot all the words to my own songs. I remember going to my primary care physician and he was like, you are 100% healthy, there's nothing wrong with you. And my response was, that's impossible, I'm dying. I wasn't working, so I had all of these hospital bills. We had to move out of our home and move into my parents' basement. I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lime is such a thief and it goes undetected because no one is looking for it. For more information and prevention tips, go to projectlime.org. This is the Lembit Opic Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. 
Welcome back to the Lempidopic Show, where we find the facts, kill the spin and tell it like it is from stories all around the world. Uh, I'm here every Saturday and Sunday for three hours. With me is Ben Walker, the chairman of arguably Britain's most effective party because it completely fulfilled its mission objective. That was the departure of the United Kingdom from the European Union, the UK Independence Party. What Ben has also done is serve in the UK military. And I want to lean on your experience there in just a moment. Let me just give you some of the comments uh, I'm reading now from the TNT site. Uh, you're welcome to go to tntradio.live, share your views there as well. Uh, Hemingway says the whole political system has to change and let it be run this time by people who are not psychopaths. Ben, are you a psychopath? Uh, only on a weekend. Okay, well, you can do five days a week then. That'll be okay. Uh, another <laughs> one here is... Uh, uh, Mogden, covering the earth in solar panels will lead to the next ice age. I don't think it will necessarily, Mogden. I think it'll actually heat things up, but it certainly won't save the world uh, because the world doesn't need to be saved. Skippy says democracy is mob rule. And when the mob are so brainwashed and dumbed down, they get what they deserve. And Red adds, uh, don't like the answer, I think, begs the question, does he really want a solution? And that's to a debate, which is between him and Holly. Uh, my answer to that debate is, I think he does want a solution, but he's going the wrong way about it. It's a complicated debate. This is why you need to get onto the chat if you're not on it already to see what's going on. And just one more, uh, which is uh, chemtrails will do it faster. Mm. I know many people who have strong views about chemtrails. Uh, we'll probably come back to that. I have a chemtrail expert who will probably get on one day. So uh, I want to ask you this question then, Ben. What has been your military experience before we go into talking about what's happening in the Middle East? Okay, uh, well, I served in the, the Royal Navy up until 2003. Uh, I actually served in the Afghan war as well. So you've been in the front line quite literally. Yes, yes, loosely based on the front line, I guess, yeah. If, if I were to choose... Well, I have never been in the army. I was in the Combined Cadet Force, which is the schoolboy equivalent of the army for two weeks. But And you won't believe it, given how my hair is now. I left when they told me to get my hair cut, and it didn't suit my motorcycling image. So I left. You didn't, so you didn't serve with Boris, did you, in the CCF? <laughs> No, I mean, I, 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 no, no, I didn't. <laughs> it was in, oh, okay. in Northern Ireland, actually. Uh, and ah. they, they had this amazing weekend. There, there are reasons why I went into it, which were, I was the collateral damage doing a favor for a friend, actually. But that's a totally different story. I think you're a little bit more qualified uh, in terms of the military. But here's the question. We've got the British and the Americans launching salvo after salvo in the Middle East. Now, they're doing that because they were unhappy that three Americans were killed in a strike a few days ago. Mm. Is this really the right way to de-escalate the situation, killing orders of magnitude more of their people so that they don't so that they stop killing ours? You know, I'm completely conflicted on you because on, on the one hand, I agree that if something's done to you, you have the right to retaliate, especially if it's it's defending, you know, shipping lines or whatever, you know, important things like that. But you're right. Does it de-escalate? Not really. I mean, it's only given them another another reason to carry out another strike on another person or target. So it's certainly not a course that's going to de-escalate anything in that region. It's going to, like I say, do the absolute opposite. Yeah, and this is my concern. I was talking yesterday about the Northern Ireland peace process, and next week 
we actually have somebody who served in Northern Ireland who will give us a profound insight as a former military man about the remarkable achievements there, which I was involved in. And that worked because people put their guns down, not because people escalated the trouble. There's a small number of people, small contingent of people say, well, the IRA was brought to its knees by the violence, but I actually think it was mutual battle fatigue. That's what I think caused it. And, and a feeling that no one really wanted their people to die anymore. If you launch two or three dozen salvos, killing countless people, I don't know how many people are dying there, no doubt with civilian damage, then we'll end up in the same situation as Afghanistan, where the Taliban, village by village, house by house, town by town, won hearts and minds. Is it possible that the billions we're spending, and who knows what the environmental footprint of that is, by the way, the billions we're spending bashing the hell out of the Middle East will cause us to reap our own whirlwind? I think that's very true. And the worst thing about uh, all of this, really, with the UK is you've only got to look at you're, you're carrying out actions against a people in a region. We have a huge percentage of our population which follow the same uh, religion here. Uh, so it's been referred to before as having a, you know, a fifth column within our own country. And that's the problem. You know, we're now seeing on the issues that really aren't our own on our streets in the UK. And this is just going to grow. So if, if action's taken in a country that's you know perceived to be a million miles away, lo and behold, you've got issues on your streets because of it. And, and that's we're going to see much more of this. And it, it's very, very worrying. I, I do wonder about some of the thinking or the strategic thinking that's been carried out by our politicians uh, these days, if you like, because I don't believe that they're really uh, acting in the interests of the people or their countries. Uh, it's power grabs, it deals, it's money, it's influence. Uh, now, I'm not saying, like I said earlier, that you, uh, it's power grabs, it deals, it's money, it's influence. Uh, now, I'm not saying, like I said earlier, that you shouldn't retaliate if something's done to you, but there should be an air of protectionism. Uh, we just look after ourselves. We don't go out of our way to interfere and cause conflict, which really don't have much in the way of anything to do with us. When I saw Joe Biden state his oft-repeated media uh, comment that, and Anthony Blinken, uh, his little sidekick, that if anyone kills Americans, they'll suffer for it and we'll show them what for. I, I cast my mind back to Vietnam and to Afghanistan and to Iraq. And it seems ironic in the extreme to me, Ben, that we are now bombing Iraq, the very country that American Britain freed in a false prospectus war. Why are we bombing our ally? I've got this is what I'm saying. I've got no idea. And I, I really don't understand the train of thought. And I don't. You know, I don't even think there really is high-level thought process going on here. It's all, as ever, with everything that we see these days, very reactive, ill-thought-out. Uh, we really should just be protecting our own country and looking after our own people within it and doing right by them. Uh, at the moment, getting involved in these, these conflicts, and especially a country like Iraq, where we invested decades and billions of pounds and dollars in to try and repair and make better. Um, but again, you've got to ask yourself, why did we go in there in the first place? And are we actually reaping the 
the benefits of, of that interaction with that country at that point. I, I don't know. I mean, it, all of these these wars are born out of power and influence. Uh, that's essentially what's happening. And it's the brave men and women from countries and the armed forces that go in who are used as pawns. Um, and again, I mean, yeah, used as a pawn again by Biden, if you like, because now he's he's standing up and fighting back on their behalf. It's all a little bit of a joke. Uh, we've just got to leave this region alone. Uh, so in your judgment, it's a way wrong call to go into some kind of military disturbance launched with very long range bombers by America. And I'm guessing aided by the UK from what I saw on the news this morning. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And like I said earlier, I think, you know, that the world is a very small place now. It's very easy to sit somewhere, send a droning or, or fire in a missile from somewhere else. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to feel the effects on your very own turf uh, shortly after. Uh, the, this, these are the situations that we face now. And it's very worrying. You know, here, I'm not sure about Australia, but our political class, and it's across the board now, are talking about conscription. So they're talking about actually, you know, people joining up or not made to join up, getting the Queen's shilling and all that sort of stuff. Um, so something that we haven't done in this country for a number of years. Uh, we, I, I'm very proud. I mean, my son's in, in, in the Paris, and I'm very proud that although it's small, I think that the UK has the best professional armed forces in, in the world. We are better than anybody else, but of course I would say that. Um, and I'm proud of that, and I'm not sure that conscription is the answer, but the fact that it's being floated around at the moment is a scary proposition. What do they know? What are they thinking? What are they trying to manoeuvre this country into? Is that another conflict? Is that a conflict with China? Is it one with Russia? I saw a very interesting video the other day which compared all of our military and its assets alongside Russia's. Frightening. Uh, the fact that we want to uh, start, you know, ruffling their feathers even more than we are is insane, if you ask me. You're beginning to sound or remind me of the character Ron Kovic, I think it is. Do you know who he was? Ron I've Kovic? Heard name. What? I have heard that he, name. I he, can't think he, who it... He was the main character played by Tom Cruise and born on the 4th of July. <laughs> he served in <laughs> Afghanistan and uh, then he ended up as a peacenik fighting against the Vietnam right. War. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you're the you're the UK equivalent of Ron Kovic or Kovic. I could I could be. I mean, my yeah. Although his, he probably had more use of his legs in that chair. Mine are useless. Mm. But um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's about being a peacenik or a, a peace lover. It's about being a protectionist. It's about looking after our country, making sure that's sticking right first before you get involved in anything else. And I'm not sure. This isn't like the Second World War. This is. This isn't like you know we're being threatened by Nazism or anything like that. It's very, very different, very complex, and there's no one reason why we are involved or why we're not. And I, and I do question. I do question uh, why we get involved in these things and why we have done before. Because at the ultimate, well, sorry, at the end of the day, the ultimate price that we pay is with the blood of our own men and women. Um, and that's a very, very serious thing to get involved with. And what we've also got to recognise in the UK, you know, and I hate to say it, but we're not a military player anymore. We're not. You know, our, our military has been downgraded and run down 
for generations by successive governments who aren't willing to invest and spend the money on it that they should. And the fact is we're now reaping the benefits of that or the results because we are not in, in, in a place where we can actually, I, I would argue, we couldn't even effectively defend the Falklands anymore. Really that bad. We would lose the Falklands conflict. That was a conflict for those who aren't familiar with it. Fought in 1982 uh, between the United Kingdom and Argentina about territorial rights to a bunch of islands known as the Malvinas in Argentina and the Falkland Islands in the UK. You're saying that if that battle, that war was fought again, Britain would lose instead of win? <clears throat> well, I mean, it was... Yeah, I mean, you you know, I mean, just by that little intro for that segment, uh, Lambert, you know the, the the history of this. We only won by the skin of our teeth. So round. Um, so I don't know what it would be like second time round. You know, we have in this country nineteen serviceable ships. Um, we have you could fit all of our armed forces uh, and reverse. Uh, um, sorry, reservist into Wembley Stadium. Um, there aren't that many of them. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is, is I'm not sure how effective we would be in defending that or mobilising ourselves to get there and defend that. It's a sad prospect, but that's where we are. And that's where our governments have made sure that we've ended up. We're no longer the world player that we believed we are or we once were. It's remarkable to think that the entire realm of the United Kingdom, arguably the empire, or the one great empire that people always talk about is now defended by a population of military people, which is smaller than uh, a football audience. Because that's what you're saying about Wembley Stadium. And that's <laughs> true. And I mean, you know, recently as well, your viewers and listeners may have seen that, you know, we had a, uh, a warship that reversed into another one of our warships is leaving port. We have been arguing about the fact or, or, or discussing, if you like, that in the Royal Navy, people should be offered dual identity cards. So they have one if they're Derek one day and then one for Doris if they're Doris the next day. And it, it, with all of these nonsense kind of wokery kind of things that are going on, it, the Russians must look at us and think, oh, this is brilliant. <laughs> mm. they're an absolute joke and that's the that's the real fear we're not you know we're not but Mo people looking Mogden, think that we are Mogden says our navy are smashing up boats all on their own same point and um, Malibai exactly. says we haven't got the aircraft carriers now needed for air support uh last question very short we only got like 30 seconds to answer it are you an optimist or a pessimist about the future of the United Kingdom I am an optimist I think that we can turn this around but we've got to start now Thank you so much, Ben Walker. I'll let you get back to your day. That's Ben Walker, chairman of the UK Independence Party, and also uh, something of a military guru and something of a Ron Kovic character, as in Born on the 4th of July. What do you think? Are we right to be concerned about our interventions in the Middle East? Or is this something that we have to do because we have to look like the big tough guys just next to Europe? You let me know. Coming up in the next hour, I'm going to dig deep into what I was talking about earlier. Uh, the strange decline of affection for road users, at least in the eyes of politicians. Have you been affected? Get into the chat during the break. Uh, I'll have a great talk, a great talker and a great speaker and a great guru in a very short while. That's all on the Lambert Opic show this Sunday, right here on TNT. See you in a few minutes.